So if you're just joining us for the first time today or if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, we're really glad that you're here and watching. Uh, we are continuing a discussion on the importance of honor. The, the, we're in a community series all year. We've been talking about community. This specific piece of this community series is an honor series. We are learning uh, the importance of honor in our society and in our communities and in our church tribes, whatever you want to call them, your church communities, your local community in the tri-county area or in your church tribe, however you want to call it. A lot of people don't like the word tribe um, because tribes went to war with each other. You know, we don't do that as Christians, right? We don't fight with other churches. We're not jealous of other churches because they're bigger or, or maybe doing more than us in some areas. We work together. We're all in the same mission. So we don't compete. We don't put other churches down so that we feel better about our, our church. Just like we don't put other humans down just so we feel better about ourselves. Right? For the next two weeks, we're going to hang out in the book uh, uh, Unpunishable uh, by Danny Silk. I just want to discuss further this idea about the difference between discipline versus punishment. And remember, they're very similar. In just some cases, punishment is not a good idea. Because honestly, like I said last week, we cannot have honor for each other in our tribe if we don't get this right for how we treat others. And especially ourselves. If we don't learn to forgive ourselves, we're not going to be able to treat others well, properly. Because we're not even treating ourselves well. Hurt people hurt people. Broken people break people. That's why there's a lot of pastors that need healing because they're, lead, they're breaking, they're hurting more people by the way they're leading and preaching the word of God from a broken place, from a hurt place. And that just brings legal, legalism. It teaches a person to have a relationship out of rules. And they're doing it from the pulpit. They don't even know what they're doing, that it's wrong. They think what they're doing is right. In a quote last week from Sean Boltz, he said, punishment is humanity's go-to. That's what we do. Punishment is our first reaction. And then I followed up that by saying that the way the church has handled people in sin has actually caused them to sin more. But also, what about us? That's what I want to focus on, or we focused a little bit on last week. What about us personally? I want to focus more on this today. Isn't it true that when we fall into one sin, we beat ourselves up so much that it usually leads to another sin? And then another, and then another. And pretty soon, church is out of the picture. Our Christian friends are out of the picture. Eventually, God is out of the picture. Why? And this is so interesting to me. It's so interesting to me why we dump the very people we should be running to. It's also completely mad crazy what happens. Because listen, we sin, we sin, we sin. And we blame all three of those people. God, our friends, and the church. We blame them for our sin. I've seen this. Just trust me. We blame all three of them for our sin when they had nothing to do with it. They weren't even there. Want to know why? Because that's what punishment produces. The fear of punishment produces us to run from church because we're afraid the church is going to stand us up front and make a fool of us and punish us and make it hurt. 
Listen, if, if you're ever standing up here apologizing to your tribe for a sin, which I actually think is necessary at times, when you have sinned publicly and, and you've hurt your tribe, I think it's necessary, but I'm never going to make you do it. It's only going to be because they wanted to come up here and apologize to you as their family. And in, in leadership, I may make a leader do that, but I will never make this, the, the normal, regular attender do that. So you don't have to live in fear of that, okay? Plus, it won't be a punishment. It'll be part of the restoration process. Family, I sinned, I hurt you, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I know how this tribe will react. I know, just like the story we read when we started this out. Punishment produces guilt. That leads to shame, and then shame causes you to blame. You wouldn't believe what I've been blamed for as a pastor. <laughs> Stuff I've never been a part of, but they had to have somebody. You have to have broad shoulders if you're going to be a leader in the church or a leader anywhere, really, even in a workplace as a boss, you get blamed for stuff that you weren't even a part of or thought of. You better have broad shoulders. And you really wouldn't believe what you've been blamed for as my sheep. <laughs> and you don't even know about it. And if you did, you would think, those people are completely mad crazy because I had nothing to do with their sin. You're, you're, you would be right. But that's what sin does. It produces shame, which causes people to have to blame somebody for their own actions. Then they don't have to feel guilty. They don't have to deal with it, right? Are you with me so far? But listen, because we punish ourselves to take some of the pain away from us, personally, we have to blame someone else. And it's sad, and it's not only sad, it's divisive, and it's deceitful, and it kills and destroys relationships. And who is the father of those things? The devil. That's what I want to talk about today. Why do we love punishment so much? Well, this, this love of punishment is something that was developed over time. It didn't slowly develop. It's also not something that's just in 2021 in our culture. Okay? It's not just happening now and eventually will go away. I mean, it will go away when Jesus returns, right? Here's what the book said about this love of punishment. It's the universal human experience with deep spiritual roots, which means it started from the very beginning when the very first humans fell from God through sin. Did you hear that? We can all blame Adam and Eve. No. You didn't learn anything from my first five minutes if you're blaming Adam and Eve already. Okay? Some of the men blame Eve, and the women blame Adam, and blah, 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 and the blame goes on. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a Bible somewhere in front of you under the chairs, a black Bible. If you can't find one, turn around and ask the awesome person behind you for one or the person in front of you. Very first book in the Bible, so I don't have a page number for you because it should be easy to find. Genesis, chapter 3. Now listen to me. We are not going to look at these first two characters in the creation story so that you have someone to blame. You hear me? We're not going to look at the first two characters in the Bible so that you have somebody to blame for your sin or punishing others or yourself, right? Well, I can't help it. It's all Adam and Eve's fault. doesn't work that way. When you stand before God on your judgment day, Adam and Eve are not going to be standing there for you to blame. 
You will be by yourself, and you will have to answer to what you did in this life with your time, talent, and possessions, and finances. Okay? Nobody will be around to blame. So we want to look at this closely in order to stop this generational sin. Did you hear that? Right? That's the reason why we're going to look at it, so that we stop it in our own lives. Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. We're going to go down to verse 13, but we're going to walk slowly through this. Now the serpent was, much, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Think about that temptation. Did God really say? Not very surprising that the devil is still using that phrase today to deceive us. Because he can't come up with anything new. He can't create anything. He has to use everything that God created and twist it. Right? Katie taught me that. Pastor Katie taught me that. I love that phrase because it's truth. He can't create anything new. So he takes what God created and he twists it. But people still, still to this day fall for this. Does the Bible really say... I don't agree with these pages, so I'm just going to rip them out of the Bible. I'm going to rewrite this. Does the Bible really say that? Yeah, it does. And it may sound harsh to you right now, and it may sound unloving, but it's actually loving. But through your lens, someone who is being deceived, I can see why you would think that's not truth, because you're being deceived. By the crafty snake. God told you he's crafty, which means he's good at what he does. He knows where to sneak into your life, and he knows how to deceive you in the very areas that are easy to deceive you. For some of you, it's your finances. For some of you, it's your children. For some of you, it's your career. Whatever it is, he knows what he's doing. Don't fall for it. And be aware of your weak areas so that God can turn them into strengths and not allow the enemy to come into those cracks of your life, right? Think about that. Did God really say, yeah, he just said it yesterday, snake. No. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See how slick he is? Did he tell you you can't eat from any tree? You'll die. You'll starve. He's being ridiculous because he's on on purpose. He's trying to get Eve to say or Adam to say, no, he just said one. Ah, now I got you. Why that one? Why would God tell you not to eat of one? Why can't you just have everything you want? Because you don't always get what you want. The woman said to the serpent, no, 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 no. He's not that mean. We may eat from the fruit of the trees. we, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. So a clear command, right? Would you agree? That's a pretty clear command with a pretty clear consequence. Not a punishment because this isn't a punishment because a consequence, you tell somebody ahead of time, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. So let's get that straight. This is a consequence. If you do it, you will die. Sounds harsh. Actually, it's love. I warned them ahead of time. I didn't want them to do it. I warned them. Verse 4, 
you will not cert- you will not certainly die. He's a liar. God's a liar. That's what he did. He just called God a liar. Do we see that the, do we see how intense this conversation is? He's a liar, just like the enemy convinces you of. I know God told me I would have that car and I didn't get it. God's a liar. No, God protected you from a $700 payment a month that you don't have. Come on now. Let's stop, let's stop twisting the will of God for something we want, right? That's what we do, right? You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will actually be opened. You won't die. You'll actually be as smart as God. Oh, there are people walking around today that think they are. So don't think this is just an even Adam problem. This is a human problem. It started right here. Want to be smarter than God? You can be. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I don't know if you realize that you really don't want to know what evil really is. You don't want to know. Because my guess is, is you have not seen it. Especially in America, we're, we're, we're pretty protected and spoiled compared to other countries that watch their dad be drug out into a street or their child and have their head cut off with a hacksaw. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, isn't that the result of falling for the deceit? Deceit leads us to question, did God really say? Isn't that what we're seeing today? People who know better than God, and they justify their sin, or at least blame someone else for it, or just sin without the concern of any consequences, because they have made themselves a God. You will be just like God. Ooh, that sounds interesting. I would love to make my own rules. Makes you really think, doesn't it? Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was right there with her and didn't speak up, wimpy man, because God actually told him not to eat of the tree. He didn't say it to Eve. How did she know? He must have told her. God spoke directly to Adam And he wimped out in a moment where he could have saved us all from the fall of man. (laughs) You dummy. Not you. Sorry. Sorry, Zach. You're awesome. He didn't try to warn her. He didn't try to stop her. He didn't speak up. He didn't correct the lie that was being spoken to her face. He didn't defend God's own words, which is the same, like we said, as agreeing with the serpent. And with Eve. And he ate it. What is really going on here? Because this was not about just eating a fruit. Okay? Listen closely to this so that you don't fall for this same thing. It's in your notes. In your notes, if you're filling along in the blanks, it's just to kind of keep you awake in case you're bored. I don't know how you can be bored with the word of God, but, you know, some of us are. This was not about just eating a fruit. It was about human beings trying to, do, to, define, to define good and evil and right and wrong. It was about human beings trying to, 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 define, to define good and evil and right and wrong for themselves. That's not on the screen, and I don't know why. It must have, must have been below the screen. So you can fill that into your blanks. 
It was about human beings trying to define good and evil, right and wrong, for themselves. To be like God. In your notes. Because sin always trying to make the rules. Sin always involves us trying to make the rules. That's a quote from the book. And when you want to make the rules, that means you want to rule yourself. You know what the Bible calls this? Idolatry. The worship of an idol. The Bible calls it spiritual adultery. Do you know what that means? That basically means you're cheating on God. You're replacing him with yourself. And I don't think that it's, that's going to go well for you in the end, by the way. So that's, that's why I need to warn you. That's one of my roles as your spiritual father is to warn you about these things. And not every message is feel good, but it, th- this is a good message. But this is also a warning. Be careful. Be careful. And it all begins with deception. Just ask Adam and Eve. The enemy planning lies in your mind about God. That he isn't good, that he, you can't trust him that he's holding out on you, and don't sit there and and tell me that you don't see this in people today or that you've even had this thought yourself. When life didn't go the way you wanted it to go or you didn't get what you wanted when you wanted it, it all started right here in Genesis chapter 3. That's why we are very easily deceived into thinking that God is not who he actually is. And there's a quote in the book from Tim Keller that I just could not ignore Uh, That really spells this out in clear English. So I really want you to lean into this. The highlighted words, the capitalized yellow words are always mine. They're not Tim's, okay? Um, But I just kind of want you to see some things that that stand out. This is pretty powerful. Sin always begins with the character assassination of God. Sin always begins with a character assassination of who God is. We believe that God has put us in a world of delights, but has determined that he will not give them to us if we obey him. If I become a Christian, I will miss out on all the fun of earth. We're convinced of that, which is a lie, by the way, from the pit of hell. I I actually think worshiping with you and going into the presence of God is better than any drug you could take. And it lasts all week. Let Let me tell you. There's a reason that I have Richard playing the same song every Sunday. There's joy in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. I was in my tree stand. I got a little cold, so I stood up to get warm. And I I was singing it all. I almost didn't even care if I saw a deer. I was singing Rattle and House of the Lord the entire time, opening day of rifle season. I, I, I almost started dancing too much. Like, if anybody, if a deer saw me, they were gone. So I probably missed my chance because I was moving it. Like, I was, I was trying to do it slow, but I was like, I just, there's something about that song that needs to return to the church. Joy. Well, if you knew my life, pastor, you would know why I'm so miserable. No, you're a believer. Life goes on. You do have hard times, but you're never to lose your joy. Amen. It goes on. This is the lie of the serpent, the original temptation of Satan to Adam and Eve that brought about the fall. Go ahead. The serpent told the human race that disobeying God was the only way to be happy, and to reach your full potential on earth, to disobey God. And this delusion has sunk deep into every human heart. This is really the most fundamental temptation that there has ever been in the world and the original sin. Specific details may vary, 
but the deep heart song of I have to look out for myself is always there. I have to look out for myself. I can't trust God to get me that job. I can't, I can't trust God to pay my bills. Well, it's not that God will pay your bills, but he'll take care of you. If you don't have bills that you're not supposed to have, good stewards, they ask God what to purchase or to rent. Well, as we said last week, although Jesus set us free from the punishment from falling into sin, God still disciplines his children, right, for our own good. That's what we said last week. In other words, it doesn't remove the consequences of sin, which I call self-inflicted punishment. Self-inflicted punishment, not necessarily punishment from God. It's, it's because of our own choices and decisions, self-inflicted. And so Adam and Eve immediately started to experience some of the consequences from their sin. The first consequence was that they experienced the shameful awareness of their nakedness. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, so the devil didn't lie. Their eyes would be opened, but not to God, to themselves, and how empty they are actually without God. He tricked them. They fell for it. Eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. It's pretty interesting because maybe you don't remember what it said in chapter 2 because it's the total opposite of this new revelation now that the enemy has opened their eyes. I want God to open my eyes, not the devil. Right? Look at this verse before they sinned from chapter 2. Adam and his wife were both naked. That's just how they came into the world. And they felt no shame. They didn't even know what naked meant. They just saw it as normal because they've never seen another human. They never saw anything before. It was just normal until the enemy tricked them. Isn't that interesting? Before sin, no shame. Hmm. Let's look at some words here that I think you, should, you will be surprised to know the meanings to. Did you know the, work, the word naked comes from the same Hebrew word to describe the serpent? Crafty. Same word. Guess what that means? To be or make bare. The serpent. The serpent brings on shame. God doesn't. Sin brings on shame. God doesn't. Come on. Come on, folks. Now think about what the serpent convinced Adam and Eve of. That they were going to see God for who he really is. That his forbidden wisdom would be exposed or naked or laid bare. The wisdom that he was keeping from them. That you couldn't be like him. And the the enemy said, you can be like him. And you can be just as smart as him. In fact, some of you are. In your notes. You know what actually happened? You know what actually happened, don't you? Instead of God being laid bare, they were. And they actually became like the serpent, not like God. Did you get that? Did you really get that? This is the result of us questioning the word of God. Let me repeat that. This is a result of us questioning the truth of God's word. 
I wished everybody in, in the world could hear that statement. Not because it's coming from me, but because it's coming from heaven. This is the result of you questioning the words in the Bible. Did God really say, I don't agree with that. So I'm just going to write my own Bible. This is a result of us questioning the word of God to fit our belief system, to fit, to fit our narrative, to fit our standards. Questioning, this is what happens today more than anything, questioning the truth to fit our feelings. This is a rampant deception today by many, including Christians. Check this out. The Hebrew word for shame means disappointed. That makes sense, right? That's probably not an eye-opener. Whoa, wow, I never knew that. We know what shame is. It brings on disappointment. Disappointment brings on shame when we fail or someone fails us. But it also means disconcerted, disconcerted, which means to throw into confusion. Angel wrote in the book, because I was reading it after her, um, Unpunishable by Danny Silk. She wrote, to feel unsettled. Adam and Eve were disappointed because what they hoped would happen by eating the fruit did not happen. Instead of seeing God for who he truly is, they saw themselves for who they truly were. Naked, exposed, bare, nothing without God. Have you ever tried something that you were totally confident would work and it didn't? Have you ever, you ever tried something that you just knew? In fact, you knew so much that you went to church and bragged about it or you bragged about it to your spouse. I know this never happened to Chester because he's an amazing contractor, but, you know, honey, I know this pipe will fit. And then all of a sudden the whole wall falls down, you know, say, yeah, you made it fit, Chester. You really did. But now we have to rebuild the wall. But the pipe fit. <laughs> There is nothing more disappointing and disconcerting than to experience failure, especially when you brag to a lot of people about that it would work. It makes us feel exposed. Do you know what, do you know how, you know what fixes that, by the way? Repentance. I'm sorry, honey, you were right. I'm trying to teach you, Chester. I'm sorry, honey, you were right. It wouldn't fit. In your notes. In your notes. When we have moments, and we will, when we have moments of failure, shame, or disappointment, repentance is what redeems the failure. That's the title of today's message. Repentance redeems failure. Repentance is what redeems that failure into a learning experience. We don't have to beat ourselves up. Learn from it. And don't do it again. It's an opportunity for growth. That's why God lets you fall flat on your face. That's why he lets you suffer consequences for your sin. Because he doesn't want you to repeat it. It's got to hurt. Discipline has to hurt a little so that you don't touch the stove again. Because right now you just got a little boo-boo. Next time you grab a hold of that a little bit harder because you didn't learn anything, you may be in the hospital, Right? Come on, we teach this to our kids, but we act like our relationship with God is different. It's not. If you remember anything else, remember that statement right there from this message. When we have moments of failure, shame, or disappointment, which we will, 
Repentance is what redeems that failure. And to, see, we, we just think repentance is way too easy. How could I just say, God, I'm sorry for doing that? You know, most Sunday mornings before I get up and preach, before I ever, like even before I go into my sermon, I spend a time in repentance. Almost, it's almost like a lifestyle now. Every day I'm repenting to God for anything. Please point out something, whatever it is, whatever I did, or if I'm aware of something, if I spoke to my wife wrong, I'm repenting. I'm in my tree stand. That's the thing about hunting that you don't want to do. When you're out in the woods for 11 hours or three hours even, you have a lot of time to think. And there's a lot of things that come up. And God and I have a lot of conversations in the tree stand, and most of it is repenting. We, we just think, how could I just say, Father, forgive me for what I did, and then just be gone and start over? Ta-da. It, it wasn't simple for Jesus. But he decided to do it for you so it would be simple for you. He did the hard so it would be simple for you. And if you can't forgive yourself or others, then you negate that. You, 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 you literally told Jesus that he wasted his time on the cross. It's supposed to be easy. Forgive yourself. He's not surprised by your sin. He doesn't want you to repeat it, but he wasn't surprised by it. Will you let it go? For crying out loud, let it go. Because you're not doing any good to the kingdom beating yourself up. If you find yourself repeating that sin over and over, get some help because now the problem is you need to confess that sin to somebody, someone you trust. You need to let somebody know so that they can start helping you with that. And if somebody comes to you and shares a sin with you, you better not open your mouth to anybody about that because you will do more destruction to the kingdom than you'll do for the kingdom. Am I being too harsh? I'm trying not to be. I'm very passionate about this. I'm trying to wake the church up. Adam and Eve, however, did not repent. I don't know if you're aware of this, but they never repented on the end of their mess. They remained in that painful state of nakedness and exposure. Here's a quote from the book. The failure of sin has a way of shattering our confidence and trust in what we know of ourselves and the world. It makes us feel like something is wrong with us. Rolling as I read. The shattering of trust is an experience of disconnection. We know that. In Adam and Eve's case, sin introduced disconnection with God, themselves, each other, and creation. The psychological and spiritual trauma left them feeling unprotected, powerless, and threatened, which in turn produced shame. The fear of disconnection produces shame. Now, if you know the story, when they initially sinned, how did Adam and Eve react to this fear of punishment? What does the Bible say? They hid. They hid. And guys, we do the same thing today, don't we? When we should be learning from Adam and Eve's failures and reactions, instead of repeating them, we repeat them. Instead of running to God to cover and protect them and eventually restore their shattered trust and connection, they made coverings for themselves. And guys, we do the same thing, don't we? In your notes, they both decided that self-protection was the answer for their sin problem. This is why Christians bounce from church to church because they want to go to a new church where nobody knows their sin. 
It's a new covering. They're trying to cover their sin instead of letting it just come out in their own tribe who will love them, forgive them, and restore them, won't we? I need to hear everybody's voice on that or you are not going to allow to be a part of this tribe. Amen. We will. If they repent, if they want restoration, we will restore them here quickly, whether you like it or not, because that's what Jesus did on the cross for them. And that's the way we're supposed to behave as a church. So they decided self-protection was the answer for their sin problem. They made coverings for themselves. And guys, we do the same things. They remained in this state until God showed up looking for them, until the pastor or someone from church showed up at their door and begged them to please come back. We'll love you, promise you, we won't punish you. When they should have ran to God or the church in the first place. Verse 8, verse 8, ready for this? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now, listen, God knew right where they were, okay? So just, he's, he's just as smart as the devil thinks he is, okay? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Pastor, I heard that you found out about what I did, and I was worried about what you thought of me. Because of what I did. So I left the church without telling anyone. And I'm with the, with the intention of never coming back. Because I wasn't sure how people would treat me. Or if you would forgive me. We sin. We hide. It was a problem in the beginning. And it's still a problem today. We are afraid that people will reject us if we go to them and say, I, I sinned, will you forgive me? We're supposed to offer forgiveness quickly. Yeah? In your notes. It's important to see that Adam and Eve's fear of God. Here, this is a massive statement, guys. Adam and Eve's fear of God was a consequence of sin. Adam and Eve's fear of God, the reason that they were hiding on God was not because of who God was. It was a consequence of their own self-inflicted punishment. It was a consequence. God did nothing. He was just out still probably creating stuff that we're unaware of, other galaxies. And all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, what just happened? Something bad happened in the garden. I need to return. They were already hiding when he started walking in the garden. He's just looking for the people he loves the most. He just created them. Why wouldn't he love them? <laughs> Go ahead. Do we believe this? God did nothing to shame, scare, or punish them in any way. Their fear of God was a consequence of their own sin. God did nothing to cause that. Do you believe that? Ask your spirit this morning, if, you, if your soul. Ask your soul, actually, because that's the part we're trying to get saved. Do you believe that soul? Because if you don't, you better start believing this. My God is not the God the world displays. He's loving. He does not shame, scare, or punish there, there's a biblical punishment, but it's usually the consequence of sin, okay? It's usually self-inflicted. It's not because God wants to punish us. Hell is, is more than just a punishment. It's, it's torture. But God doesn't want that for you. He didn't even create hell for us. He created it for this stupid serpent. 
and his followers. He didn't create it for you. But now, because of what's going on now, you have a choice where you want to go when, you're, when your life is over. But it's not because God wants to punish you. It's a consequence of you not believing in him. Okay, do you see this? Did you notice, as we read that, that he was not the one who told them that they were naked? All God ever did for Adam and Eve, and all he ever does for us, is create us in joy, surround us with beauty, empower us to rule and reign the planet with him. That's all he ever wanted. That's amazing. He created you with joy. Surrounded you with, look at me. He surrounded you with beauty. I, I meant the trees and the flowers and the deer. Thank you. I needed to hear that. He empowered you to rule and reign with him. Not live in sin. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He only gave them one command and a very clear reason for the command. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. And he's also given us commands with very clear reasons for those commands, right? And all of them basically boil down to trusting his word, not questioning it. Questioning whether or not it's still relevant today. Can I tell you it's still relevant? It's the same Forever. Yeah, tomorrow. Do you realize what, what you are questioning when you do that? You are questioning whether or not, listen, God's truth is still truth. Because maybe, just maybe, I might be smarter than God. Because I think he got it wrong. Ooh, I would hate to be you on Judgment Day if you believe that. Oh, my, my, my. Can I tell you something? Uh, uh, going back to Adam and Eve's fear of God being a consequence of sin, you know, when you live in sin or, or you have failed in sin and you're part of a church community, I, I know this from thousands of, of testimonies. One of the consequences of you falling into sin or living in sin is when you come to church, you think that everyone is staring at you. And you think that they're thinking very bad judgmental thoughts about you. When 99% of the time, it's simply not true depending on what church you go to. In this church, I can tell you 95% of the people don't even know you failed. Because we don't gossip here. Right? The leaders might know what happened because I do share things with my leaders. They are not allowed to tell anybody else. They have a confidentiality position. And they will be disciplined if I find out they shared anything. So there's always a risk. There's always vulnerability in relationships. But you sitting there thinking everybody's judging you, that's the consequence of sin. That's not us. That's you doing that to yourself because, well, you're, you're allowing the enemy to lie to you. And most of those people will sit here for three weeks, but then eventually they leave and go to another church or they don't go to church ever again. And they'll even go to the other. This is what I mean by them blaming you. They'll go to another church and say, they judged me. No, they didn't. You sat there and judged yourself. And you ran out of here thinking it would be easier to go to another place when you never even gave us a chance to forgive you and restore you. 
Sometimes I'm even unaware of their sin. And I, I've, I've gotten text messages after sermon says, how dare you preach to me? How, I, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you knew. Someone told you. No, they didn't. What are you talking about? Do you have something to confess? It's crazy. The devil is crafty. He's crafty. He's good at what he does. Sadly, in some churches, in some churches, it is true. But in here, honey, we don't point out the splinter in your eye when we have a plank in our own eye. We just want you to own it, repent, and work to restore yourself with God and your family. That's, what, that's all we want you to do. But that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think, right? That everyone's talking about you and judging you. Why? So that you stop coming, so that you isolate, so that he has you all to himself to cause you to sin more and fall away from the very people who love you. And here's what I'm basically saying, and I hope, I hope you guys are with me on this because I'm about to say something pretty radical as the pastor of this place, as the father, that you better back up. I hope you actually give us an opportunity to prove this to you, that we will forgive you if you come in with a humble, repentful heart and you want restoration. I hope you prove it. Prove it. I'm not telling you to sin on purpose just to prove it. But if you fall into sin, try it. Test us. At least I'm going to pass that test. Listen, we're all human, right? And, and there's, there's 100 people, over 100 people that attend this church. It's not that we're all going to get it right. But the majority of us will love the hell right out of you. We'll love the sin right out of you. And we'll restore you. Who's with me? In your notes. Did Adam and Eve physically die the moment they ate the fruit? No. But spiritually, they became disconnected from the source of life. God himself. Okay? There's two kinds of deaths. There's physical death and there's also spiritual death. And this is the biblical punishment that ends up happening that I still believe is self-inflicted because separation from sin separates us from the presence of God. The ultimate eternal separation is hell, which is in a way punishment, biblical punishment. It's self-inflicted though. You chose that. God didn't. Do we understand that? Also in your notes, the devil led them into an assassination of God's character. The devil led them into an assassination of God, God's character, just like he still does with us today. When we say, how could God allow that to happen? If God loved you, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen to you or them. God hasn't answered your prayer yet. He can't be trusted. If God really cared about you, he would have protected you from that abuse, from that divorce, from that accusation, from that church wound, from that job loss, or from that miscarriage. If God really cared, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. God doesn't care about anyone anymore. If he did, and if he was real, he would come back and rescue us from all of this pain. It's the crafty serpent in your mind that you need to say, anybody wearing not today, Satan? I saw I thought I saw it. Yenny's wearing it. Not today, Satan. My mind is not a house for you. It's a house of the Lord, and it will sing praise in the midst of my trial, right? Here's another quote that goes along with this. 
buying into the enemy's assassination of God's character rendered them unable to recover a true vision for who he was. Think about this. Buying in to the enemy's assassination of who God really is will cause you to not be able to recover from a vision of who God really is. You will have a distorted view of church and God when you allow the enemy to assassinate God's character. They became locked in their false view of the universe and its creator, and it was this view that produced the fear of punishment in their hearts. It was the devil that drew them away from their covering of God's authority. It was the devil that tempted them to make their own rules because it was the devil that wanted to see them shamed and fearful and disconnected and eventually punished for eternity in the pit of hell. The devil wants to take everybody he can with him. It is the devil that wants you to leave church and be disconnected. It's the devil that wants you to make up your own rules, stop reading your Bible and believing the word of God. It's the devil that wants you to live in sin and become shamed and then fearful and eventually punished for eternity. But don't put that on God. That is not who God is or what he wants for you. Stop playing the victim card or blaming others. Your choices and behaviors and addictions are your choices and addictions and behaviors. They're not somebody else's fault. Because isn't that what Adam did? Let's read it. Verse 11. We're going to wrap this up. Verse 11. That means we have another 20 minutes, but we'll see. Verse 11. And he said... Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here me, put here with me. This is a verse that Steve quotes all the time in his house, and I keep telling him to stop doing it. You're abusing the Bible. You're abusing Scripture. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit, and I ate it. It's her fault. The woman you put here with me. So it's your fault? And it's her fault, but it's not mine. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? It's context, how you read that. What have you done, woman? I should have never created women. That's not how he said this. He said, okay, he blames somebody else. Let me see how you respond. I want to see if maybe one of my creatures that I created is maybe wiser than the other. What is it that you have done? I dealt with Adam. What have you done? The woman said, not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. In your notes. <laughs> this is kind of funny when I read this in the book. It, I just chuckled. Adam is the first known victim in human history. <laughs> Adam is the first victim in human history. He presents himself like victims do. Powerless over what he decided to do himself shifting responsibility away from himself, accusing and blaming others. And Adam only had two people to blame. We have a whole tribe or a whole workplace or a whole family, uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and moms and dads and spouses and even our children. We'll blame our innocent children for the way we're behaving. He only had even God, and he pulled out all the stakes. The woman you, God, put here with me. The woman you. He literally blamed them in two words, two people. This is what shame produces. This is why we can't allow shame to be on us for any reason. Sin produces shame. Shame produces disconnection. Disconnection produces fear. Fear produces blame. Blame produces a powerless person. And listen, losing your power, source, God, produces 
more sin. Do you see where this message is going? We're trying to prevent more sin. We're trying to prevent eternal punishment for you. God does three things in response to this conversation with Adam and Eve. First, he gives a series of declarations that describe various types of conflict, pain, and struggle. We're not going to go over them, but this is what you're going to experience, Adam and Eve. This is what you're going to experience because... This is what you're going to experience because of your sin. Not because I wanted it, because I warned you, but because you chose it. Okay? Do you understand that? Because means they chose it. God didn't, right? Let's not twist this and assassinate his character, okay? Basically, everything that God wanted to co-labor with them from now on would be full of pain and suffering. Read it in Genesis 3, 14 through 19. Want to know why you hate going to work so much? Adam and Eve. They blew it for us. Want to know why you don't want to leave vacation and come back to work? Because originally work was not supposed to feel painful. It wasn't supposed to be work as we see it, as a labor pain. See, it's more than just the fact that women have to suffer labor pains. It's also work pain. None of us, really, if we had our choice, if we could stay home and just hang out with each other and worship the Lord 24 hours a day, yeah, like we would do that, but that would be cool. We would choose that over work, right? That's why what the government is dangling in front of you right now is, is from the garden. It's a very tempting thing. We'll just pay you to stay home. You know what that actually is? It's control. They want to control. They don't want the best for you because God actually says to work. But I just want you to know from, from the original, from, from the beginning, work wasn't supposed to be, it's Monday. I got to go back. It was never supposed to feel that way. Toil, work, labor, tending the ground would have been free from conflict, pain, and struggle before the consequence of the original sin. As the story goes on, God loves them so much that God clothed them with something better than leaves. God clothed them with something better than leaves. I want you to think about this, okay? Were they, were, they, were they good at picking out fruit? So maybe God said they're probably not going to be good at picking out leaves too. <laughs> what if they grab poison ivy? <laughs> Ouch. I don't have to act it out for you. That's comedy, but I'm trying to express to you the heart of God. He gave them animal skins because it's better than leaves. God eventually banished Adam and Eve from the garden. Punishment? Oh, no. Love. Remember, Adam and Eve had not yet repented for their sins. This is what you need to know in your notes. This is what you need to know. Another huge statement. When God banished them from the garden, God was trying to protect them by preventing them from being tempted from eating from the tree of life again. He was protecting them, not punishing them. Man, I really hope we get this. You may have some theological arguments with this that we can talk about another time, but I hope you just get what the heart of God is. Folks, in your notes as well, no matter what the enemy has convinced you about the heart of God, God's motive 
is always love. It is always love. But without repentance, there can be no reconciliation or restoration. Okay? So God explained to them what life would be like for them living in that choice of being unrepented, an unrepented heart. But he reminded them that I will be with you. Another quote from the book, God essentially said, I created you to function out of connection with me and one another. Choosing self-protection over reconnection cuts you off from the only thing that causes you to flourish in every department of life. And that means life is going to be really hard for you. Did you hear that? If you cut yourself off from me, life will be hard. Listen, guys, clothing and banishing them, clothing and banishing them were fatherly acts of provision and protection. And even when God had to deal out the consequences of their sin, he was caring for them the whole time. So know this, I believe God was sad about all of this. You see, God is nothing like the world portrays him to be. God is nothing like the world portrays him to be. Like a mean boss who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you and destroy you. Christianity gets a bad rap because we hold people accountable for wrongdoing, sin. But our heart is not to shame and punish people, but to lead them to freedom and power. And that's God's heart as well. But can you, can, you can imagine, can you imagine, let's put ourselves as we close this out in Adam and Eve's heart, in Adam and Eve's mind. To a deceived, unrepentant person like Adam and Eve, these consequences seemed like punishment. And some can argue, argue that biblically they were. Because the bondage of sin brings on a punishment of destructive consequences. This is what I call self-inflicted self self-inflicted punishment. Sadly, in Genesis chapter 4, the story of Adam and Eve's sons, even when God gave humans an invitation to repent and change, as with Cain, Adam and Eve's son, they didn't take it. And eventually, the earth became so corrupt and evil and violent that God, in chapter 5, says, I regret that I even made humans on planet earth. This is how I know how sad he was. Read Romans chapter 1 if you want to see the progression of human behavior that we see in Genesis chapter 3 through 6. But for today, I just want us to renounce, come out of agreement with, repent of the love of punishment. Can we do that? Let's stop allowing the enemy to lie to us and stop partnering with him in the assassination of God's character. The only way you're going to know who God is is by, by eating his word daily, every minute you can. That's the only way you're going to know or you're just going to have to believe me and I don't want you just to believe me. I want you to believe it for yourself. Don't pay me to read the Bible for you. You read it so that you know and when you hear somebody t saying a lie about God, you correct it. You don't stand there like Adam and be a wimp. Correct him. That's not who my God is. Don't you stand there and, and assassinate the character of my God. That's not who he is. Right? Because that is what leads to this nature and desire to punish ourselves and others. First, we lose the truth of who God really is. And if we do, we will replace love with punishment. God is good. He is powerful. He is kind. We just refuse to see it and believe it. And that will lead us to idolatry, putting ourselves in the place of God. 
Listen, the fear of the Lord is the opposite of the fear of punishment. The fear of the Lord leads us toward God, not away from him. The fear of punishment leads us to run from God. Hear me on this before I close in prayer. You are only getting a snippet from this book. Don't judge it by one sermon. Order the book and read it for yourself. It's called Unpunishable by Danny Silk. I want to bring more of it to you to help you with this, but until then, just realize this is just one piece to the puzzle. But I hope you're hearing the heart of God in this. Stop beating yourself up. He's not surprised by your failure. But listen to me, listen, to the, listen, because this is also the discipline of the Lord. Repent, be restored, learn and grow from it. Don't keep repeating it. Okay? I'm preaching to myself. Let's stand. The key when you fail is repentance. Because repentance redeems failure. It just does. Accept that. Oop, I just spoke bad to Kristen. Father, forgive me. And then call her real quick on the way to work and say, Kristen, will you forgive me? Of course, honey. I knew when I married you that there were going to be many moments like this. <laughs> it's part of relationships. I forgave you. Here, here's something I don't know. Katie, Pastor Katie taught me this crazy moment where I had to go downstairs and ask for forgiveness. And I, I know you don't like to be pointed out, but I'm just, I would like to make sure you don't think I came up with this. She said, oh, pastor, I forgave you before you did it. I was undone by that. I had to go back to my office and just have a moment. I'm having it right now because I remember that day. She forgave me before I even messed up. That's messed up. Who does that? I just ran into biblical forgiveness. I ran into biblical grace and mercy. Katie's not perfect. She'll tell you. You know, hang out with her. You'll see it. But, but when somebody learns something and then spreads it to you, I took a hold of that. And I can stand here as your spiritual father today and say, listen, you can come to me when you mess up because I forgave you before you messed up. It won't surprise me. I mess up daily. Why would I be surprised if you messed up? If you sin, repent. It's not supposed to be complicated. Adam and Eve were not restored to the garden because they didn't repent. They did what most of us do. They blamed someone else for their failure because shame causes you to blame. Maybe some of you today, as you close your eyes, maybe some of you need to forgive those who have hurt you so one, you have to stop beating yourself up. So close your eyes and just ask the Holy, Holy Spirit. If you want to put your hand on your heart, you can. If not, it's okay. You don't have to do what I do. Holy Spirit, do I have a tendency to beat myself up? Am I beating myself up for something right now that I can't forgive myself for? In the name of Jesus, in an act of mercy and grace, because you forgave me before I ever did that thing, I forgive myself. You have that permission right now to forgive yourself for it and let it go. It's freedom. Like, you're, you're going to be uncomfortable with it. You're going to be like, oh, I feel lighter. I don't know what to do. And you're going to go to work, and you're going to be like, you wouldn't believe what happened at church yesterday. And they'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Too much caffeine. No. I have freedom for the first time in my life. 
as your hearts are closed and your hands are on your heart, Father, is there, Holy Spirit, is there someone that I am holding on to unforgiveness towards? Then I need to finally, because, because you know, Dr. Shelley and everybody that speaks on unforgiveness, it's not just the change that you have on them. You're in bondage. You're actually in sin by not forgiving them. The, the Bible actually says, God actually says, if you can't forgive them, then I'm not going to forgive you. That's a pretty harsh statement. So can you just let that go today in the name of Jesus? I let that go, and I forgive them. I forgive my mom. I forgive my dad. I forgive my brother. I forgive my sister. I forgive my kids. I forgive my parents. I forgive my former pastor or my current pastor. I forgive that person in children's church that grabbed my kid by the arm and then apologized, but I was so mad because a mother bear syndrome came on me, and I said some pretty harsh things. I forgive them, and I'm going to go to them today and tell them I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for talking to you that way? See, this is what the world needs to see, these, these humble Christians walking around saying, oh, oh honey, I, I forgave you before you even did that to me. That's what the world needs to see, the opposite of what the enemy is crafting, which is punishment and revenge. And slashing tires and putting dead fish in the back of someone's car. Stop heaping punishment on others. It's not who God is and it's not who you are supposed to be. We are to be loving, forgiving, restoring kind of believers. Amen? Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.